Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Out of the gates and ready to go. OutKick 360 underway from Nashville, Music City, 6th and Peabody, our location each and every day for the OutKick studios with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. The crew is all here got a jam-packed show talking all things football armando salguero joins us from outkick.com he's been at the nfl owners meetings earlier this week he'll join us in 20 minutes with the latest there plus we'll take a peek at the upcoming games on the nfl slate including thursday night football trey wallace will join us a bit later college football sec headlines with trey and michael McHenry. He joins us every week to talk all things Major League Baseball and the playoffs, the postseason, Astros winning last night, the Padres taking, you know, swing after swing and chopping away at that lead and then taking game two and the series heads back to Philly tied at one game apiece. Gentlemen, good afternoon. You know, I was really feeling good coming into yesterday's show about the Astros winning game one, given the short rest, given the quick turnaround, given the celebration that I saw in New York after winning a divisional series from all the fans. I'm thinking, man, feel good about this. But Paul, your confidence yesterday coming in here. I feel great about game one. I don't feel good about the series, but I feel good about game one. You made me bet on the Yankees, and I was very angry after the Padres <clears throat> came back and won, and I bet on them. And the Yankees lost. I did not bet this Not game as angry as you, I'm sure. I thought I thought the game was going to be in New York. And then you told me, I was like, hang on. <clears throat> this is not good for the New York Yankees. It was, an odd, it was an odd confidence level from you for all the factors. When did you realize it wasn't going to be your night? Uh, when they started hitting solo home runs uh, oh. going out. I, I thought it was the first I, no, pitch when of Clark, Verlander. When Clark Schmidt came came in. I mean, they hung with, with Verlander. Uh, he was good, For though. Tyone's... Yeah. Through 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 four innings, really, they were they were right there with him. As our old friend Frank Wycheck uh, famously said, "I was wrong on that." <laughs> uh, oh. But no, as soon as Clark Schmidt came in, here, here's what the Yankees do, and this is what infuriates Yankees fans. And and we know baseball uh, analytics runs baseball, and most teams go into a game with an overly scripted uh, plan. But most good teams will alter their plan based on how a game unfolds. The Yankees oftentimes stick to their plan even with how a game unfolds. And so Tyone gave them a good start. I'm not saying they should have stuck with him, but when he goes four and a third, then bail on, and you're in the game, bail on the Clark Schmidt plan. Clark Schmidt stinks. Clark Schmidt should be in a game that you're winning big or losing big. But get out of the Clark Schmidt frame of mind and go a different direction there with a better person. And what they do is they stick with the pre-prescribed plan and it turns into what John Boy, uh, who I'm a big fan of, calls a try-everything-out game and get a feel for other stuff where you almost decide you're sacrificing it and you're going to get a taste of this, this, and this to know what you're going to do later in the series with those four or five guys. 
I think in all the sports, because of analytics, we don't see enough of this. There needs to be a more of a let's see what happens approach. Example, we're going to start this guy and let's see what happens. Let's not go into it and say, we're going to start this guy. He's going to give us two innings. Then we're going to go to this guy against this matchup, no matter what. You have to allow for the game to take place and things to happen in the game. This goes across all sports. Don't come into it with a rigid, computer-driven mindset of this is what we're going to do in the third inning, and this is how it's going to go down. A game is a living organism. You have to let it evolve. If someone that you didn't expect to be great is great in that moment, pitch them an extra inning. It's okay. You don't have to go to the next guy just because you had it in your notes before the game. I'm going to this guy in the sixth. Let the guy with the hot hand continue to pitch. That doesn't happen enough across baseball. Or it's fine to say we're going to go to Schmidt. Our intention is to go to Schmidt second. Our intention is. But not we're absolutely going to Schmidt second no matter what. And it would take like an earthquake for us to change off of that. Again, that, that's, that's my point with the whole thing. Just let it breathe. See, see yeah. what the situation is in the game at that moment. See how your guy's doing. You may have to go to something you weren't planning for a bad reason early. I mean, just let it. Let it be. So their indication, Hut, is that there is a little bit of strife in the Yankees amongst the Yankees' decision makers. We don't know how many people are involved in that, but like with the shortstop decision where they've got Cabrera, um, IKF, and now Peraza, uh, another rookie who's not really played and they didn't prepare so much for the situation, but that there's some internal debate on what direction to go there and, and that some people in the organization, you know, not rooting against them, but rooting against a move, you know, and wouldn't So mind. this guy always wins out. No, because they did change when they were in trouble in Cleveland. So, you know, with two, two games away from elimination in Cleveland, they changed shortstops, finally. So no, I'm saying that this, the, the one decision maker always wins Well, no, out. it seemed to change. So, so there is some back and forth. There's but a this the is something that you should, going on yes. right now. But and yet, this is get, something you should have had sorted out. But, the, but he changed, and you're and still they won blaming him last night. Well, it, it, they changed, and they won two games. So it went well. Now they've got a left okay. field conundrum. They're playing in a better ballpark. This, Stanton made one bad play, but then he made one great catch running into the wall. This philosophy... You should ask Michael McHenry about yeah, this I will. behind the scenes. I will. Because he's played for several managers, several organizations, and knows the ins and outs and mannerisms of these clubs. And guys talk. Yeah, right? No, so, I, I'm anxious to hear yeah, what he He's going to have a good answer for that. That's and a big an game hour. for them, obviously, tonight at 6.37 Central Time. Um, you know, you can come back from 2 nothing down, but you've you got to come out yeah, of you're a, good. You're the fine. You, got, you, you win tonight, you split, even if you don't. Then you got to win game three. (laughs) Then it comes down to game three as the do or die. What a great time of year, gentlemen. Yes, it is. We've got the Major League Baseball playoffs. We have all things NFL. College football is in full swing. You know, we've made the we've made the turn. We're headed to the backstretch of the of the conference play now. Rivalry matchups have started and are about to be across the board. And um, yeah, you get to Halloween and you can feel it. You know, the race for not just the college football playoff, but the New Year's Day Bowls and everything else. It's it's about to really pick up, and, and it's going to be over fast, Chad. You mentioned this last week about how fast things go by. The season is a, about to be over in a, in a second. We blinked. I feel like we were at the Tennessee Ball State game on that opening Thursday night of the season where Purdue played Penn State. Backyard brawl happened with West Virginia and Pittsburgh. 
I blinked and, I, and it feels like a, a day went by, a week went by, and we're at the midway point of the season. It is for all the anticipation, f- football in general, NFL and college, but especially college, which is a shorter season. It is a lightning bolt of an experience, and it goes by so fast every year because the season is anticipated and it's such a short amount of time. But here we are. Everyone in college football now has played six games at least. Mm-hmm. Some have played seven, so we are halfway through the regular season. It's crazy. Let's get that extended playoff in motion so that it ends less quickly. Well, and it's also a, a big part of my sports calendar because I'm no longer coaching softball for the fall after last night. We lost. Season's over. So I'm completely invested in football. Friday night. Oh, <laughs> Friday night so, is the first practice. So now that it's over, are you thankful that softball's over and not going to overlap and interfere with basketball, which is going to be by far the most intense coaching sport for you of no, the No, he's two. not the head coach, right? Not the head coach. I'm the assistant in basketball. But uh, it, it's far more stressful in basketball because I wouldn't say stressful. I, there's more that goes into softball coaching at that age in terms of organization with lineup and making sure everyone's got their spots in the field and they play you know, yeah. infield and all that. Uh, basketball, you kind of throw them out there. And we have 10 players in our team, so we can go teams of five and never split them up and just go one team at a time and keep subbing that way. But it is chaotic. Anyone who's ever been around a little kid's basketball game, the risk of injury is way higher because they are just going all Bumping out. heads all the time. Oh, my God. I mean, I, I bloodied two girls' faces last year in practice – Passing them a ball. I thought them, you know, running into each other, colliding, going for the ball at the same time, having no sense of where someone was going to be moving and running full speed would cause the injury. No, it was me giving them a bounce pass and them not being ready for it and it hanging right in the face. I'm just thinking of the Peyton Manning SNL skit here. Oh, it's it was bad. Hurtful coach Chad. No, this this is also Chad's sport, right? Like he's into softball, but I didn't play softball. Well, I'm yeah, you're in the you're in the play baseball, yeah. right? But the the you're in the coaching softball, but the basketball element of this is way more. He's way more anxious. The anxiety cranks up a notch. Well, the anxiety, the nature of the sport itself will bring out the anxiety with especially with little bitty kids playing basketball. So it, it is a lot more anxious when you're watching those games and a lot more frustrating. Softball, you can see moments of actual okay. That looked like a softball or baseball play. Little kids basketball, those are few and far between unless you've got some stud player on the other team that you're watching that, that does different things. It, it can definitely be very anxious. I want my daughter to enjoy it, and I'm happy that she's wanting to practice this year unlike last year and wanting to play, which is good. Last year it kind of felt first grade, maybe a little forced. You know, She was asked to play because there weren't many first graders in her school playing. This year, I feel like she's ready to go, ready to take the next step up. Also an exciting development, my daughter now knows how to sing Rocky Top start to finish because she showed up at school and they were playing it on a loop when they were walking into school after Tennessee beat Alabama on Monday. And one of her classmates, uh, Ryder is the young man's name, was on the field celebrating with his family. So he just randomly breaks out into, into Rocky Top at any point during the class day. So... I'm all for it. All three, all three verses? Path. Uh, they don't know the wild as a mink buck, sweet as soda pop part yet, but the chorus they've got down. I'm just... <laughs> yeah, that, that part they're good with. Uh, hit us up on Twitter at Outkick360. Um, hopefully, Ryder avoided Jermaine Burton on the field. Let's hope. Yeah. That would have been another 
bad part of the story. No, no, no doubt. Um, some headlines out there through the NFL. Uh, Andy Dalton is starting tonight for the New Orleans Saints. Yesterday... More great Thursday night football on deck. Yeah. Yesterday, um, it was unknown who was going to start because Jameis Winston had been cleared. And they're going with Dalton uh, over Winston, who... I don't know if it's been reported that he, he made the trip or not. He, he clearly did because the, the reports yesterday were, was that, that they were not going to name a starter until they absolutely had to. Mac Jones is going to start when he's healthy. That's the report from The Athletic. And ESPN is saying that Monday night against Chicago uh, is where he's likely to make his return. He has not played since week three, the final play against the Baltimore Ravens. And since he was one and two at the time as the starter, since then, uh, Bailey Zappi, two and zero oh as the starter, and has also completed like seventy five percent of his passes, five touchdowns, one interception. Mac Jones gets the shot again, um, and potentially Monday night. Travis Kelsey's restructured his contract. He did that earlier this week. The Chiefs are freeing up cap space by doing this, meaning they're making a run at someone. At the trade deadline of and November 1st. Speculation is uh, maybe not to trade, but just to sign a free agent, Odell Beckham. And Odell is being sought by the Bills and by the Rams, Chiefs, um, maybe the Packers. How? But the Packers uh, report is out from Green Bay that the Packers are going after Chase Claypool from the Steelers. That's their top target right now. That would be a good one. That would make sense. For the Packers. How, but uh, isn't it interesting... There's the Bills who have everything they need, right? I mean, they ha- they had the punt god. He uh, arises not on the roster anymore, and they don't even need him. You know, he's he's they punt bombing so infrequently. And, yeah, and then you they have everything at the uh, different skill positions, the defense. Von Miller's there now, and they're still inquiring. There's the reports are still floating out there about Christian McCaffrey as well, and the the Chiefs and the Packers are also loading up. Where are these three and three teams that need a piece? You know, need a piece to be at least involved in the next round of the postseason. Because these these teams are supposed to be there at the end, and they're still going after. Well, it. that's what they're doing. They're saying whoever comes up on us out of this muck and mire, we're it's wide open for us to go win it right now. We're going to go do it. If you're Odell Beckham Jr., you get to decide where you're going to go. Does he does right? Yes. I mean, it's he's yeah, free he's, he's free agent after the injury and after his time with the Rams. Um, how do you not go to Buffalo if you want to win a Super Bowl right now? It would well, seem like I a, mean, a I, straight it, line. It worked for Kansas him last City, year. I get. Yeah, he followed Von Miller. Is what he did. Yeah, you're right. Followed, but I mean, it's just I, I don't know. I, I I think there's a pretty. I know the game is close. I just think right now there's a nice little gap between Buffalo. And everyone else. Not to say that they that no one can beat them when we get to the playoffs. They can. It's not a done deal or anything like that. But if I'm just a betting guy and I'm thinking I want to go win another ring, I won one last year with the Rams. Could go back to L.A. Don't know that I want to do that. Where can I go win a second ring? Oh, I got it. Western New York. I am signing with Buffalo if I'm him. If, like if they a, want you, it's like a seven week plus playoff contract that that you're signing too. I mean. You think this time he does it in Bitcoin? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> Dogecoin. So if I, you're if you're him, though, coin. Like, how much fun is that? 
If, you're, well, if you just fun. get to the but side also, mid-season, hey, right around Halloween, but also I'm going to join a team that's in the middle of a big run in a city how weird, that's completely behind that team. How odd is it, though, that we can – if Odell Beckham signs in the offseason, the, the city he's playing in, the reports are about how he's rehabbing and if he's going to be ready at a certain time. And the assumption with Odell Beckham Jr. is he's coming back from the ACL that was suffered in the Super Bowl – and whenever he signs, whenever, because there's already talk about it, he could sign anytime he wants to, that he's right in the mix, ready to go. That's intriguing to me because you can also trade for, I mean, the, the, so the Chiefs, the Chiefs have, uh, Mahomes has four passing touchdowns to wide receivers this season. That's why they're looking to add another piece. Kelsey has four in one game. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. So they've, they've, they're looking for that next level, but... At the same time, I'm thinking, does it have to be Odell Beckham? Like, what? Why is he at the top shelf compared to some other trade pieces where you can go well, get a third guy? For one thing, guy. you don't have to give anything up. Yeah. It makes him attractive in that regard. Well, that's yeah, that's fair too. And you're making some room. That's that's the easy move for a lot of teams. You're just banking on the fact that he gives you the same production that he did last year for the Rams, coming off the knee injury. Yep, and it's relatively inexpensive because it's prorated. It's prorated yeah. for, for seven weeks or however many weeks it is. So, I mean, he's a real value. The question is, as it always is, is how quickly can this guy fit into what we're doing? He's obviously very physically gifted, but it's, it's typically hard to bring in a guy and have him, you know, have the effect that you want. Fans are usually disappointed by what a, uh, a in-season trade brings you. Armando Salguero uh, will join us just around the corner. NFL headlines and more. We'll get his take. He was there at the NFL owners' meetings and everything that went down earlier this week. Uh, looking forward to our chat as always. Armando Salguero, senior NFL writer, is next. Outkick 360, excited to partner with Aurora Nutriscience, a trusted partner that keeps us mentally sharp and healthy with their supplements, and they deliver those where you need them the most, your body. Vitalifescience.com is the website. V-I-D-A LifeScience.com is where you can see more information. And you as an OutKick 360 season ticket holder, you receive a 15% discount with the code OutKick360. Typical pills, capsules, not well absorbed. In fact, most are only absorbed in small, very small amounts. And your digestive system breaks these pills down until there's little left to benefit for you. And here's Aurora. Unique, cutting-edge, nutritional and absorbable supplements encapsulated in liposomes. And that ensures greater absorption in the body's bloodstream. Visit VitalLifeScience.com for more information. V-I-D-A-LifeScience.com is the website. 15% off with the code OUTKICK360 at VitalLifeScience.com. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. And we're joined by Armando Salguero, our senior NFL writer at Outkick.com. As we broadcast in Nashville, he joins us from New York. He covered the NFL owner meeting, which was this past Tuesday. There was no news there, right? 
No owners spoke to the media or anything. Jim Irsay Irsay, uh, turned a lot of heads and a lot of pages, and we were scrolling all over the place on Tuesday afternoon. Armando, great to have you, man. Hope you're well. I'm doing great, gentlemen. I'm in in the Big Apple still. I was involved in many high-level meetings afterwards, after the NFL meetings over at Fox. I am now decided to announce that I am running Fox Corporation <laughs> or not. <laughs> how, how are the Murdochs? They, they good? Everything good on that end? The, the meetings you had They're, directly with them? Yes, Roop. I call him Roop because <laughs> that's how we roll. Your boys. Uh, he's doing well. Thank you. And Locke. He's 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 doing well too. Very bold. Tell him we said hello. Do you have any feeling for what prompted Jim Ursay to speak out about Daniel Snyder? Uh, bourbon, bourbon. <laughs> so yeah. So the way that played out is, uh, let me give you, uh, let me paint a scene for you, if I can. Uh, at the Conrad in New York, they have a ballroom and you kind of have to take a, a right turn to go into the ballroom from the lobby. There is a stairwell and or a staircase. And then towards the left is an open area where they cordoned off the media. So, you know, we 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 were all over to the left so as to not speak with the owners when they didn't want to be spoken to. Well, Jim Ursay between sessions comes out and he starts talking to the Associated Press reporter, just, you know, banter, not anything significant, not anything important, not anything even football. And of course, everybody else sees it. And the next thing you know, there's 45 reporters scrummed huddled around Jim Ursay, peppering him with questions about Daniel Snyder. Having said that, uh, you know, he could have walked away. He could have easily just said, that's it, gentlemen or ladies and gentlemen, I'm done. But he chose to get full on into the subject. The funniest part about the whole thing is at one point, he is making the point that the NFL owners should possibly look at removing Daniel Snyder from his post as owner of the Washington team because he's done all these heinous things allegedly and has been insensitive to women and insensitive to fellow owners and, and done all sorts of insensitive things. And Jim Merce says, well, I think there's merit to removing him as uh, owner of the Redskins. <laughs> and, and of course, uh, anyone who is aware knows that the name or the nickname of the team was changed because everybody was complaining that it was what? Insensitive. And so the guy preaching all about you know, the guy's got to go because of being insensitive was insensitive. It was, it was amazing. And it was uh, right on uh, right on the level of Ursay, you know? Well, like, is there, just, it, that was what I was thinking when this all broke, Armando, was I'm not surprised that Jim Ursay's doing this. And I started thinking about 
Is there another owner in the league that wouldn't surprise me if they were the one owner that spoke out against Daniel Snyder? And we went through a list of candidates yesterday, but what does it mean that Jim Irsay did this? I feel like it loses some importance because it was Jim Irsay and not someone more highly thought of around the league. Well, I asked why him, and I've been told, well, there's a history there. Um, he's not a fan of Daniel Snyder personally. And while he said, well, we're not friends, but I've talked to him, that doesn't really, I think, portray accurately the relationship between the two. There, there's ought there. And we saw that. And Jim Irsay, frankly, has no worries whether or not that ESPN article that said that Daniel Snyder has dirt on his fellow owners, um, that he would be one of those guys that he's got dirt on because most of Jim Irsay's dirt is public knowledge already. So it's out there. There is no new real dirt. I'm Jim Irsay. What sparked the the response from Jerry Jones to Robert Kraft? Do do you guys know, or did you hear about anything there after the report came out on on how that went down? Discussing, I know it, they were discussing Goodell's contract, but I wonder what Robert Kraft said to elicit that response from Jerry Jones. I don't know exactly what he said, but I do know that the history is that. Robert Kraft is a very strong ally of, of Roger Goodell, loves the guy, and so he, he wants to do right by him and, and, if possible, better than right. And Jerry Jones uh, is a very strong ally of dollars, and so he wants to do right by dollars, especially the ones that might be going in his pocket. And therefore, he is going to be on the side of always making people perform at the highest level to be paid at the highest level. You got to remember, even with his own team, uh, he didn't exactly roll out and back up the Brinks truck for Dak Prescott. It took a couple of years before he did it. And that's his quarterback. So... Uh, this has been going on with Jerry Jones relative to the um, Goodell contract for, I would say, five, six years. It was nothing new in that regard. Sticking with ownership, Stephen Ross has served his time uh, out of his penalty from the league. Was there any discernible difference with the Miami Dolphins and how they operated that, that you heard about in his quote-unquote absence, um, or will there be with his renewed presence? Right. So he, he's still not allowed, Paul, to attend league meetings. He was not at this one. He won't be at anyone until 2023, until the spring meeting next year. He is allowed to return to the club and, you know, do whatever he did before, which my understanding of it was he would talk to the head coach every week. He would talk to, you know, president and CEO Tom Garfinkel every week. He would suggest 
quote unquote, out of the box ideas, such as maybe, you know, recruiting Tom Brady, (laughs) you know, even though Tom Brady is under contract to other teams, such as, you know, um, going after Sean Payton, even though Sean Payton is under contract to another team. So the out of the box ideas guy is back. And my my sense is that he has probably come to understand that some of his out-of-the-box ideas need to be tamped down to be within the rules of, you know, the National Football League. Because you got burned once, you got a significant, you know, uh, sanction for it. Not in the money, not in the $1.5 million, but they lost a the first-round draft pick. That's that's a deal. That's a that's a big deal. And so he understands that he needs to play nice with out of the box ideas for a while. Armando Salguero with us. Tua Tagovailoa, a bigger return for the Dolphins. Did the Dolphins return to the national discussion of the AFC next week based on Tua's return right now? Well, so the Dolphins are going to be in the national discussion, but I think the Pittsburgh Steelers should be in the national discussion. Because it's stunning to me, for example, that last week, Teddy Bridgewater was in the concussion protocol because of a supposed ataxia moment. Uh, He had a stumble in the New York Jets game. He did not have a concussion. He did not test for a concussion, had no concussion, was not allowed to practice full until Friday. Kenny Pickett of the Pittsburgh Steelers played last Sunday, does have a concussion, did test for a concussion, practiced full yesterday, practiced full today. So the guy in the concussion protocol that doesn't have a concussion can't practice full until a Friday, but the guy that does have a concussion and is in the concussion protocol can, can practice full the entire week. Forgive me, but I don't understand. Yeah, further complicating it, Josh Palmer hit his head on the first series of the game Monday night. I know we don't care about a receiver like we care about quarterbacks here. Presumably, he was tested for a concussion, right? He came back in, played 81 snaps, and he's now in the concussion protocol. So, uh, it was a delayed concussion? I don't know. I do know that having attended the league meetings, They are working on finding new and uh, technologically advanced ways of finding concussions early on during games, Um, and they are looking for ways to treat concussions during the week after the fact. Um, Is that coming soon? I don't think so, but they are trying to move heaven and earth to find new technologies in medical science to make sure that stuff like that doesn't happen, Paul, because that's embarrassing to the league. It really is. It's a bad look. It's bad optically, and it's bad for the safety of the player. Armando, what do you make of the bunched-up NFC West right now uh, with all of the teams fighting, scratching, clawing? Arizona plays tonight. And they haven't been good, but DeAndre Hopkins is back, and they average eight more points per game with him in the lineup than they do without. That matters. 
Where, where do you stack this division right now? So, eventually, Odell Beckham Jr. is going to make a decision on where he wants to play. And he wants to play for the Rams. The problem is the Rams haven't offered him a contract that he deems worthy of, you know, getting out there for. And if he at some point comes to terms with that team, that changes everything. Because now it's not just Cooper Cup and the disappointment of Allen Robinson. It's you've got a deep threat, assuming, you know, Odell Beckham Jr. is the same guy or close to it. And it doesn't matter that they don't have a good running game because or a good offensive line, because now Matthew Stafford is able to make quicker decisions based on two guys rather than one guy and if he's covered i'm done it's over and the bills the bills get the win head to head over the chiefs what did everyone's saying the bills proved this or they proved what did they prove to you in that win a 24 20 win over kansas city they proved to me that they're on their way to probably hosting throughout the playoffs and that's it uh <laughs> because uh, the, what did they prove? It, they proved nothing if the team that they put on the field last week or this week or whatever, if I think they have a bye, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, they do. Right. Uh, if that's not the same team that they have, you know, in January, they've proven nothing. It, I continue to say, and I'm going to be alone on this, and, I, and everybody's going to say, well, it's football, you big dummy. You know, it's it's violent. I continue to say that as long as the Buffalo Bills um, operate their running game through Josh Allen and Josh Allen is out there on the on the edge or even, you know, up the gut and trying not to like slide. He doesn't do that, but he's hurtling people. I saw him a couple of times, you know, dip a shoulder. That's a bad idea in my estimation, even though he's six foot four and 245 pounds and athletic is all get out. I think that eventually the law of averages catches up to that. And I just think it's it's just a bad idea, guys. Is it feasible for Carolina to trade McCaffrey? Nobody ever looks at the implications on the salary cap for the trading team. And I think his accelerated bonus stuff that they'd have to eat is 16 or 19. They only have nine in room. They'd have to make a bunch of moves to put themselves in position to swallow the dead money. Is that worth it for them to go through that in order to trade away one of their best guys? Uh, it's not worth it. And, you know, honestly, on, on both ends, Paul, on both ends, because, yes, he's, he's a nice player. He's a nice player with a bad contract and a bad injury history at a position where next draft, it's going to be pretty stocked. And so are you willing to mortgage everything if you are willing to do that uh, at this point in November where, again, nice player, but is he going to bring someone a Super Bowl? Um, OBJ in Kansas City, maybe. 
OBJ in Los Angeles, it rewards them with probably maybe a division title. Christian McCaffrey? Really? Well, it depends on the quarterback to me. Well, maybe he's the runner in Buffalo that, that takes some of it off Josh Allen. But you, know, you can get a rookie running back next year, but is your quarterback going to return? Is Rodgers back next year if they suck this bad in, in Green Bay? Right. Uh, teams don't run fantasy teams. They run actual teams. And so, they, it sounds like Rodgers is running the Packers based on reports. Craziness. That, that whole we've got to make things uh, Simpler. simpler. <laughs> which is news to the coach. He's telling reporters we've got to simplify the offense, but he hasn't told anybody else. And how about how about this on the on the podcast? He's saying that he's he's talked with uh, Gutkus, their GM, about making some moves at the deadline. He Rogers like that. That was like uh, the cardinal sin if his, they ever spoke. You know, they weren't allowed to look each other in the eye in the hallway. His prior visits to this. with McAfee are, are therapy sessions every week. Yeah. It's great. He's just thinking out loud on that show. It's terrific. You are aware that the AP voter who uh, last year yeah. decided that he wasn't going to vote for Aaron Rodgers based on he's a bad guy because he didn't take the vax. That guy got booted. So Armando. After two weeks of the season, I completely wrote off the AFC South, and apparently that's a mistake because now this weekend, the marquee game in the NFL is the only game featuring two teams the winning record. Shockingly, two teams in the AFC South. The Titans hosting the Colts is the lone game featuring two teams the winning record in the NFL. Help me out of this. How is this the only game featuring two teams the winning record, and what do you think about this battle in the AFC South? I think it's gargantuan. Thank I you. think it's enormous. This is going to be epic. Yes. Or or maybe it tells us that we overreacted early on with the Titans uh, relative to the division. Okay. I don't think anybody overreacted to the Titans relative to the playoffs. They're not going anywhere in the playoffs. I'm sorry. Um I'm sorry, Paul. No, don't be sorry. sorry. You're dead on. Neither, okay. No one in the t- division will. Right. Right. And so it's, it's, it's going to be a, an interesting game. Um, one thing I found out at the owners meetings, I should, I, I should, I'm just spilling guts here. Um, so the Colts got rid of Carson Wentz uh, after last season, right? after they went and lost to Jacksonville, was eliminated from the playoffs. And, of course, they decided we're moving on from Carson Wentz. And it looked bad for Frank Reich because Frank Reich had coached Carson Wentz in Philadelphia and had been big on bringing him to Indianapolis to be, you know, his quarterback again after their, you know, unified success in Philadelphia. Everybody thought, well, Frank Reich, after one year, he dipped on Carson Wentz. Uh, someone told me that wasn't the case, that it wasn't Frank Reich who uh, dipped on hmm. Carson Wentz, that it was, in fact, ownership, Jim Ursay, who no longer wanted Carson Wentz as his quarterback. So Reich would have kept him, you're saying? That's exactly what I'm saying. Thank you for helping me there. Bigger, Jonathan, I- more well, indictment. 
Well, now he's finally got Ryan throwing the football well. Well, I say finally. They did it for one game. You know, that was different. We haven't seen that yet. They protected their quarterback for the first time, and he threw for nearly 400 yards. We'll see what happens at Nissan Stadium on Sunday. Armando, thank you as always. Look forward to the weekend coverage, and we always look forward to this visit with you. Thank you. My pleasure. All right, there's Armando Salguero joining us there from New York. Coming up, we'll switch gears. Uh, In about 15 minutes, Michael McHenry will join us. We'll talk Major League Baseball and the playoffs, and we'll dive into the numbers. We'll also ask about the Atlanta Braves, their young core, and his thoughts on where they're headed now. And we'll take a look at the two series going on, and he'll tell us about some of the matchups to watch out for. When we come back, let's discuss two matchups outside of the SEC. More impactful game this weekend. Is it Clemson and Syracuse or UCLA and Oregon? We've got that next on Outkick 360. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Got a handful of solid games this weekend across college football. Two, not in the SEC, but we'll focus on now as Outkick 360 returns. Syracuse on the road at Clemson, and UCLA heads to Eugene to take on the Oregon Ducks. From the perspective of the college football playoff, which game, guys, do you think is the most impactful? Well, I, I think it's it's the Clemson-Syracuse game in that it's the last game Clemson is likely has a chance to lose, right? Uh, I don't think they're going to lose it, but if they lose it, it knocks them out of the picture. Um, if they win it, they probably win at Notre Dame. Then they have Louisville, Miami, South Carolina. I think they win those games, and they're right there in the national championship picture. UCLA still hosts USC on November 19th, which is a very dangerous game. So they've got another game that is a danger to them in terms of being undefeated. This is one where I wish I knew the results of these games before I answered this question. And I, and I think UCLA has another danger game in the championship game of, yeah. of the, the big, big uh, Pac-12. Sorry, Because I say that because sorry, if sorry. Syracuse were to beat Clemson, then that would obviously be an impactful game for Syracuse, Clemson, and the ACC. And if if UCLA loses, I think Oregon winning at home as a six-point favorite is not going to be a good thing for the Pac-12. Because right now, the best shot at an undefeated champion, the only shot really, is UCLA. If they go to Oregon and win and then beat USC later in the year, I don't know how the Pac-12... It's going to be a lot more difficult, a one-loss Pac-12 champion. A lot can happen. But to get into that four-team playoff... Undefeated Pac-12 champion absolutely goes. Clemson, if they win on Saturday, they have a bye week. They go to Notre Dame. That's pretty much it. They play Miami. They play Louisville late in the season. They play South Carolina. But it would be a possible game against North Carolina in the ACC championship. Clemson, 
It would take a can, big upset. Can coast to the college football playoff after a win this weekend. So I, I, I think, just on paper, I think it's Oregon-UCLA for two reasons. Impact on the college football playoff. This, is, this game's the first top 10 matchup in the Pac-12 since 2018's Apple Cup. It's been a while. And there's actual reason to watch. UCLA's going through a gauntlet. This is their third straight game facing an AP top 25 ranked team. So from that angle, the Pac-12 can, can garner some attention and some respect. But also, if the SEC wants three teams in the playoff and Oregon beats the crap out of UCLA, that's one way to gain some attention for the conference and to get three in if you have a bunch of teams with one loss and you're trying to decide which team for what conference with one loss is getting in. Because Oregon's week one performance against Georgia, based on what they're doing now, uh, looks and, like ancient and, history. And on a nationally televised game, you know, you've got uh, this is uh, the, the Fox uh, matchup, right? Um, no, this is college game day, excuse me. College game day is there, but it's on. I've got it right here. I mean, again, like the game I, is going to be played on Fox. Yeah, okay. 3 30 Eastern Fox. Yeah. Um, Syracuse Clemson, by the way, noon Eastern on ABC. So you get the double header there, just switch. Um, I, I think the impact for a lot of other teams comes down to if Oregon wins this game against UCLA. Clemson, Syracuse, I, I, I'm like you. If we know Syracuse is winning, I don't think they're winning this game, right? Yeah, if, if Syracuse are to win, then my answer would change on most impactful. Yeah. But I think Clemson wins, and then they just continue to march through the ACC. And the, right now, Clemson, to me, is the most likely lock for a college football playoff spot just given their schedule from here on out. UCLA and Oregon feature the top two quarterbacks based on stats in the conference. That's going to be a fun game. Fun guest next, Michael McHenry. We talk MLB playoffs.